it's a, it's a cliche, but uh, it's a cliche because it holds true that musicals aren't written. They're rewritten. Right. Uh, Every, virtually every show in history, you know, particularly all the classic American musicals, started out in cities before they got to New York on the, on the uh, pre-Broadway tryout tours and legendary shows lost cast members and lost directors and choreographers and different songs were written and the whole thing ends up on Broadway in a very different shape from uh, its initial conception. And whilst uh, there have not been casualties like that on Hadestown, uh, there have been many changes from, from its uh, conception and inception through to the show that's currently packing out the Olivier and uh, will go to New York um, next spring or possibly a bit later. To, 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 be, be, to be announced, yes, who knows. Uh, Right, so let's start with you. How did this begin? Yeah, uh, it's been a long road, um, well-documented long road. <laughs> um, I first started working on the show 12 years ago. Um, I was living in Vermont, which is where I used to live, um, a small rural state. And um, I was just kind of embarking on a career as a songwriter and got excited about the idea of telling a longer form story with songs and especially this story. Um, and so the first couple iterations of the show were um, this DIY community theater project in the state of Vermont. Um, there was an original director, Ben Matchdick, um, Michael Chorney, who's still with us as one of our orchestrators, was um, arranging this, my songs for this um, six-piece band that was just his band at the time. Um, and all of our friends from the state of Vermont were playing the different roles of the characters. And uh, so we did that a couple years in a row. We just played like uh, town halls and a couple of like small opera houses. Um, and then after that, um, I started revising the songs to make an album um, of the music. And um, at that point, brought in Todd Sikafus, who is our other um, orchestrator, and made this album for Righteous Babe Records, who I was working with at the time, um, which has a bunch of guest singers on it. It has Ani DeFranco and um, Justin Vernon from Bon Iver, and some other really brilliant artists. And, um, and so at that point, the piece moved into like the music world. And we put that album out and then did a series of concerts where we would just perform all the songs in a row on a stage like this. And I would kind of like narrate in between songs, like a radio novella type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and did that for a couple years, and then, um, but always wanted to see it um, staged again and really like developed into a full-length musical. And um, on one of those um, tours, I met Dale Franzen, who's one of our lead producers, who's here in the house tonight. And um, we, we began working on, uh, you know, how could how could we develop the show further? And um, it took a while to sort of figure out who the partners were for that. And big one was discovering Rachel Chavkin by way of um, uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, which if you're familiar with that show, um, was then in a 50 big, big seat. Show, big show uh, on Broadway that began much smaller and, and grew and grew and grew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I saw that show in, in a 50 cap theater and then it, 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 
it went on to go to Broadway, and um, but but I but I nabbed Rachel in the in the critical moment, and we began to develop this show together, and um, so that's been like the last five years, kind of of working on the piece has been working with Rachel, our lead producers, um, New York Theatre Workshop, the Citadel in Canada, many many workshops, and. Um, and this is, you know, this is where we've arrived, is, is the national. Um, and the show has, um, I would say, undergone more change in the last five years than it did in the previous seven, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And it's undergone more change, actually, in the last year than it did in some, like, there were, between, like, the, between New York and Canada, there were definitely, like, some innovations, but that I, more than anything that really opened like all of these gateways to how uh, a number of different storylines could blossom and grow and uh, so there's been a huge amount of revisions that have happened for this production. I mean this production is a new production in every way. The production design is entirely new and a ton of the writing is new. So let's let's park that for a moment and cut back to your your access to the piece. So you, you're, you're, a, you're a director, that's, that's always been your background? Um, yeah, a director and sometime writer. I ran, when I, um, when I was in college, I began making my own work and then began doing that with an ensemble of artists. That ensemble became The Team, which is an uh, experimental theater company that I still run. And we got our start in Edinburgh in 2005 at the Fringe Festival, which went very well and has led to a huge like portion of my creative life, both with my company, the team, and now as a freelance director happening here in, in Britain, in the UK. And actually Ben Power, who is a, a very dear friend of mine, who's the deputy AD here, he, that's how the show ended up being here, is we were talking about what what was underway and um, and this and he knew that this show was like a light of my life and and so we began talking about it. So, um, what was the show that you first saw in in this piece? So, what 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 um, what state was it in? Sounds like it was in a mess. I don't mean that. You know what I mean by it. what shape was it in? It was in a con it was in the shape of a concept album. I mean, it was in the shape of like what my earphones heard. Right. Um, and that was really where we began. We began, we sort of were like dating artistically and like sniffing each other for about a year, <laughs> for a little while in terms of figuring out if we were going to collaborate or not. And we were introduced by a dear mutual friend of ours. And it's hard because you really can't like, I could tell you I love collaboration, and you could say I love collaboration, but like until we start collaborating, what any one artist means by that is completely unique, and there's no amount of language that will make that clear other than beginning to work. So we had, actually while I was here in London with my company in 2013, doing our show Mission Drift at the Shed, um, uh, uh, we, Anais and I had like a, f what ended up becoming like a four and a half hour Skype session. And what that really consisted of was going through the album track by track and me feeding back about what I could see happening. I think I told you about some swinging lamps mm -hmm. at that time, uh, which was a long ago image with Wait For Me when I listened to that track. 
and we talked about character and we talked about what it felt like each song was achieving narratively. We began already talking about like why does this song come after this song? It should it feels like it is should be happening the other way. So but yeah, we really just started with that with the album. And it, this may be, you know, I speak as a critic, but this may and it may be part of my vocabulary and not part of a practitioner's vocabulary, but musicals, music theatre, opera, that you know, there's a million different titles. Yeah. Do you have any idea what, what, how this show fits into, into that world or what you might call it other than Ladies Town? Is it, is it a musical? Is it music theater? I mean, it's all marketing. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really, you know, I mean, I care because I want the show, I want people ultimately to be positioned to receive the show. I personally would think of it as an opera because there's not a shred of it that is not musicalized. Um, yeah. But what, when you were fashioning it, taking taking what what you what you heard, and then then in the Skype conversation, and then going forward, is there a was there any kind of model in your head as to the area it might be in? Well, pretty. The first thing Anaya said on that phone call was, "This is a poetry piece and not a prose piece." And the main question when we first started working was, "These songs need something to connect them." Are the, is that more songs? Is that spoken scenes? And who's writing those things? What are they? And pretty quickly it became clear, oh, Aeneas will definitely be writing the whole thing. Uh, and it will all rhyme. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and that felt that felt logical to you. Yeah, although it wasn't. Well, did, that comes from it her. Wasn't, it didn't <laughs> all like come at once. Like I, th yeah. I think at first when we started working together, I thought, oh right, like what we need. And because I'm a songwriter, not, not not coming from the music theater world, was like, oh, we need more songs. So mm. I'll just write some more songs, which I did. And then it was like, and that's not enough. Um, to connect the for the connective tissue. This is a good theater. <laughs> I've learned some vocabulary, um, and so we began to really think about this character of Hermes, um, who obviously in in his Greek guise he's he's a go-between and a messenger, and so it made sense for him to become like a narrator for the audience, um, and and. That unlocked a lot of things because he's able to say th just just tell us things that we might need to know, mm. um, and and then there was another level of like ah this is not quite enough either and there need to be exchanges between other characters where you know we're gonna get from A to B and we're not just gonna be um, singing a verse and a chorus and then mm. another verse and another chorus and so I started to write some like. Um, like we call them recit. I don't know if anyone else calls them this, but the recit scene, like mm. the recitative yeah. thing, and um, and that was sort of a revelation when it started happening. And I was like, Rachel, is, can could this happen? You were like, Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> that should happen. Just to be clear, this being, could one character say something and another character and the response? Response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. was like, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, but it was it was like really important to me that it all was rhymed and and metered because um, for me and I and I love shows like um, I love Hamilton I love Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of eighteen twelve I love Les Mis and all those shows are essentially sung through in their operas what, whatever the marketing department yeah. decided to call them that's what they are and for me like there's a just a uh, 
they exist in this rarefied space that never gets broken. Like, mm. it never gets broken by, and eh, now we're just going to have a dialogue scene. And um, that always felt like what we wanted for this piece as more poem than prose, and living in a space of, met of metaphors, like we wanted it to feel rarefied all the way through. And, it, and it's, it's particularly effective, it seems to me, in, in that way, because there's a clear, even though there are recit scenes and then there are sung scenes, the great thing about recit is you can do things very quickly. You can, you, you know, I, I can't think of a line from the show, but you can, you can pass on a piece of information, mm -hmm. which if you wrote a song about it, yeah. would end up taking three minutes. Where, whereas <laughs> yeah. you go, actually, this doesn't merit three minutes. Yeah. This merits the time it takes to say, I need you to go over there, yeah. uh, or this yeah. needs to happen. Yeah. And, and therefore, presumably, a lot of it was about what can you condense into the dialogue in order that you can then make the songs stronger. Definitely. Yes, true. So that you so that you get you get as much you get as much strength into the songs. Yeah, and there's al oh, I just there's almost a way in which I feel like I've heard you say this before that like if something gets said in a song, people don't pay attention in the same yeah. way. We use a phrase a lot, which I don't know where it came from, but about ha hanging a lantern on something dramatically, right? Yeah. And that is hard to do in a song. Like in a way, when it happens in a speech act, it feels like, oh, we understand what's happening now. Because people just like to space out when a song is happening and like feel the vibes. And that's great. And that's a big part of the show, too. Yeah. But it can't all be that. Mm. So as you said, in the last year, it's changed. It's sort of the process of change has, has accelerated. So. What sort of changes have happened? Uh, I don't want you to give away anything of the plot, but what sort of changes have happened, say, in the, in the last year? I mean, we could be here all yeah. night if we went through all the changes of, yeah. the, of the 10 There's years. There's sort of like three major genres. Um, one is production design. Uh, we So we did the show off-Broadway in a really lovely 199-seat space called New York Theatre Workshop. And it was very vibey. We like built, we totally removed all the seating and built this wooden amphitheater that smelled of wood. Every single chair was handpicked by our set designer and props designer. So it was like all very, felt entirely handmade. Like even the bar had like a hand painted beer sign. And it was very vibey. No, I mean, barely any space to dance in. I mean, truly, this is bigger than our uh, square footage wise than like our main floor, although there was action all through the audience. Um, and it felt like we nailed something about uh, the spirit of the show and enough storytelling. And then we went to Canada and we knew we wanted to move the show into a proscenium house. And so that was like the primary task in Canada, um, along with the secondary task of adding a workers chorus, which we had actually wanted to do at New York Theatre Workshop. It was an idea that kind of began surfacing towards the end of the process for New York Theatre Workshop, um, was this idea of the workers chorus and how they would chart through and kind of be a refraction for the personal journey of Orpheus and Eurydice. It's like what? So, they're, so, they're, so they're, they are a group of, of commentators. Um, how would you describe mm -hmm. them? Well, I mean, at that time, we just called them the Workers' Chorus. Mm -hmm. That has now taken, I think, many forms. But at that time, it was just the idea that there would be an ensemble so we could hear the workers' voices in some way, the workers of, in particular, of Hadestown. 
Um, and when we went to Canada, we now had all this stage space. And so it was like, oh, so we can, you know, there's this lyric in the opening in uh, the song Road to Hell that's on the road to hell, there was a railroad line. And we were like, we can really depict this space. And so the set was quite beautiful and haunting. And ultimately, we realized we basically got into tech and it was like, oh, it's so joyless what we have made. We have lost the vibe. And suddenly it was like, oh, we knew that that had been successful at New York Theatre Workshop, but it wasn't until it was gone that I was like, the show is not functioning anymore. Actually, we've broken the show. And so between first and second preview, I cut three quarters of the act one set. Uh, in tandem, obviously, with our set designer, and <laughs> she was there. We, she was supportive. No, 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 no. And and we the, that that we made it through is like a testament to the ability to just like keep going. Oh, that's that was the lesson. We didn't even know that was a lesson, but that was a lesson. So the set that's here is very much a deep fusion of what of this type of storytelling we realized we could do in Edmonton, but the type of culture that we realized we needed to create from New York Theatre Workshop. And so the deepening of the workers' chorus is a second. And then the last, which I would let Anais talk more about in terms of changes, are in particular going into this production is a few songs that have been around for a very long time have sort of gotten cracked open in ways that allow them to carry a lot more weight. It's like always a question as to what each song like wants to do in a given show. I don't know mm -hmm. if you want to say anything more about that. Yeah, well just like piggybacking on your thing about like what happened in Canada and where we're trying to land, I think, you know, it is important that like this piece does live somewhere between a concert and a and a theater show, and we've, I think, have moved it, the needle, quite, you know, in the direction of the theater to uh, a large degree this time around. But, um, but part of what felt, what feels wrong is when things get too literal, and it's like that is kind of what happened in, in Canada, and, um, and certainly is a whole, like, push and pull with every aspect of the design and the writing, where it's like, it's the, it's almost like the only way to know where the sweet spot is, is to go too far and be like, oh, geez, like, didn't want to go that far. And we've talked about it, like, almost if you're, like, focusing a camera and, like, trying to bring it into focus, which is the whole process of these workshops and the writing and all that stuff. But then it can go too far. And it's like, we don't want that level of specificity for this show because it wants to live in this metaphorical space. And so that has been really important. And, um, and as far as the writing changes, I think like, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just been like a big old learning curve about, um, you know, coming from song world where people are more than happy to hang out for three and a half minutes in a song because it just feels good for three and a half minutes. And it's like, there's a chorus, we're going to come back around, it's going to be sad, the changes are satisfying, there's structure there that feels really good and, um, and it's not quite enough when you're telling a long form story. Like there has to also be an event and a result. And that has just taken so long for me to absorb. And um, I think a lot of the changes that have happened are like, they're pretty important in terms of like, these are songs that have not been touched for many years and suddenly they, they have been cracked open, as you said. But also the, 
it's very simple what's happened to them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They just have opened up for a minute, the light comes in, the story comes in, and then you get the third chorus. <laughs> and so, you know. But it, presumably, if this process had been much faster, if this whole thing had been condensed over, over a kind of two-year cycle, which is sort of, which is a, not an uncommon development period for a lot of shows. I mean, don't know how long Natasha was, was, was in development. But, but, you know, lots of shows take it sort of two or three years, and then they open, and that's that. Um, but presumably, writing, rewriting material that you wrote some time ago is actually easier than rewriting a, sh rewriting a song that you wrote not very long ago and is fresh and you, and you like it. Mm -hmm. to, to, get, to go back to something and go, okay, I'm not precious about this because it's been around for some time and because you understand each other in a working process, mm -hmm. you can go, I can see that what she's suggesting might be helpful and I know how to break open that song. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that's easier. I think like there is truth in that and then there also is truth in the fact that like people have a relationship with the album for example that are coming to the show and they're like oh that's not how that goes you know <laughs> and um, and even people that came off Broadway have one experience of the show and they're going to experience something entirely different now and um, I do feel like the thing is with this show and maybe it's any show the first thing you said when we came in was like that musicals aren't written, they're rewritten. And I realize now what you're talking about is like the amount of actually <laughs> revising that goes on. But what I heard was like in the way that um, there's nothing new under the sun, you're just going to retell the same stories. And, you know, I do a lot of work with like traditional folk music and like rearranging re, um, really old songs. And this is a myth, a Greek myth that it's like I feel like as much creative sweat has gone into it on the part of so many people over so many years and generative like endeavor it also is like it we're unearthing a thing that already exists do you know what i mean and it gets like closer and closer to like we we'll use this phrase of like the sculpture in the stone where you're like just you know rubbing it it and it's like ah oh, that's 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 it and it's as if it existed all along I don't know how this relates to what no, you no, just asked. No, 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 it floats, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the New York Theatre Workshop seats 199, you said? Yeah. The Olivier seats, I think, 1129. So, so it's 10 times the size mm -hmm. of uh, what the New York production was. Yeah. You've, you've kind of rejected the, the, the physicality of the Canadian production, and you've come into, you've come into an things, open stage. Yeah. Uh, so how different is it physically here? What, how, how has, have things changed for the national production that, that either oh, the audience have seen or are about to go and see? Yeah, top to bottom, it's an entirely new design. And there are elements, there's like vibey elements from the Canadian production that are definitely here. Like the, the costuming of the workers has blossomed and clarified, but like we loved where those arrived at for the below ground workers and they t are totally different wearing entirely different costumes for the up above ground and then scenically uh they're yeah it's it's entirely new is fundamentally what i would say you would not recognize it as the same and show. as I think. Uh, long, long ago when I was an actor, you know, you'd get to the end of a run and you'd suddenly have a revelation on how to play a character. And then, and then sometimes you were lucky enough to be able to do the role again or the show would get revived. You go, now I've got something to really build on. And presumably you've had that <laughs> t 
to the max, you get, you get into a new space and you discover, as you say, you discover elements in the Canadian production that are really useful and other bits you go, we won't be doing that again, but we'll do that again. And presumably the same thing has happened here. You've, you've arrived in the Olivier and discovered possibilities in the rehearsal period. Oh, definitely. I mean, we had six and a half weeks of rehearsal here with our turntables and a draft of our set. So it's, it's a completely singular what we've been able to achieve here in terms of the discoveries, in terms of the revisions that we've worked on in the room, in terms of the level of detail of staging, it's like totally unparalleled what the NT has made possible. I mean, uh, you know, if, if, this were, if this were fully commercial production happening in the West End, you would have had a maximum of five weeks rehearsal plus, plus some tech, probably four weeks. Uh, and uh, the idea of being able to rehearse in the building with the working, the working revolve and all of that. It's, it's, un, it, no, it's unheard of in the commercial sector. And it is one of the, one of the great things about, about, thank God for public subsidy, the fact that this, this building can support the development of work rather than, well, you should have all done that before because you've only got this amount of, of space and you've got, you've got, you're in some rehearsal rooms the other side of London that don't resemble the stage. Mm -hmm. It's, it, mu it, it must be. It must be. It must be. It must be a pleasure to be able to work oh, under those circumstances. Tell me about the casting. You've got. You've got some. You've got some. Uh, is, is everyone from this production going to go to New York, or is it some back and forth? So the Ameri So the five principals are American actors, uh, although one of whom lives here much of the time. Uh, which is Eva Noblezada. Um, uh, two of them, Amber Gray and Patrick Page, who play Persephone and Hades, have been with this show since the original production. Amber Gray has been with it basically since I joined. Like she did the very first workshop we ever did of this show. And Reeve Carney joined us, who plays Orpheus, joined us for um, Canada. And then Eva Noblezada and Andre De Shields joined us for developmental workshops we did over the past uh, year, year and a half. But this is their first time out with it. And then we have an incredible British company that uh, will stay, will stay here and be British. Um, uh, uh, who, yeah, we found through auditions with the NT. I don't know if you want to speak mm -hmm. about them or. Oh yeah, no, I'm just in love with everyone that's in this show. It's very beautiful. And I love that you said that thing about as an actor, you get to the end of the run and you've realized something, that like maybe you get to do it again. And I think there is that with these actors we've been working with for multiple productions where they carry so much wisdom and intuition about the characters in the story that we might not even be able to see from our perspective. And, you know, Patrick Page, like, we just drop some really, like any song that maybe I'm trying to rewrite, he has written for himself various beats into the song, you know what I mean? And for him to make that explicit to me, it's like, oh, that's what you're playing there. <laughs> so maybe I could try to support that with the, the lyric, you know? And something that just occurred to me is, of course, that as a, as a songwriter and performer, you have presumably previously written for your voice. Mm -hmm. And 
on this, you get, you know, you get to write, you get to write for Patrick, who's got, as far as I could work out, a bottom D, so he's he's singing at that kind of pitch, yeah. and and that must be really exciting as a writer that you suddenly get to to literally write in different voices. Totally, and but I have to also say, like, okay, so certainly lyrically, it's exciting to try to like get inside of these other characters mm. and not be like me folk singer, but musically. I think that because I'm entirely untrained in this realm, that's why we have one male character who sings like in the basement and one who sings in the rafters yeah. is because they're singing octaves of what I would sing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't know, I don't know like, oh this is what a tenor man, this mm -hmm. is what a tenor man sings like. Mm -hmm. And um, certainly like when I made um, the album, I remember um, sending the stuff to Greg Brown, who sings that role on the album, and Hades, Hades right? Uh, and he, uh, he wrote to me at one point right before the recording and said like, oh, did you want me to sing a harmony? And I was like, oh no, like that actually was the melody for you. And he was like, okay. And I thought, oh shit, like he can't actually sing it. <laughs> um, but then he did and he sang it so just subterranean. Mm -hmm. And that's why that, role ended mm. up being like that. So it wasn't cunning on my part that right. made that happen. It was totally like naive, naivete. Although I want to say like one of the things that Amber Gray has said to me is how delighted she is to be in a musical that a woman wrote because male songwriters are constantly putting female voices in impossible situations. Right. So I actually right. would just say this that. This is the tables turning of that exact yeah. Yeah. scenario. <laughs> Luckily, we have Reeve Carney and Patrick Page who can. But this, but you know, it is still a novelty. You know, I'm, you know, there's Janine Tesori working on Broadway. Um, Lisa Cron has wrote the book of Fun Home. Um, Carolyn Lee in the 60s. Uh, but, you know, Dorothy Fields wrote Sweet Charity. But, you know, that's, it's not quite the full list, but it's close to the full list of, of, of female talent. It is, it is, the iniquities is extraordinary. If you're in the middle of something, which you are, it's actually very difficult to talk about it, and you managed to talk about it really well, so thank you very much. Thank you.